Week one or game one overreaction is a real thing, and it's one of those annoying phenomenons that aren't going away anytime soon, regardless of the sport or the level it's played at. And this is not to suggest that ASU, despite a convincing 41-14 win, played anywhere near a clean game. Ultimately, though, when you look at the rest of the Pac-12 and their respective season openers, there are a lot of teams that would love to switch places right now with ASU, not only having one win instead of one loss to begin the season, but also playing at a higher level than they actually did even in victory. So in this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast, there's going to be plenty of negatives to talk about, but certainly some positives and maybe some pleasant surprises to mention as well. Either way, we are finally talking about an actual football game which ASU played, so let's dive right into it. Was living in a devil town didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and DevilsDigest.com publisher, Hood Rabino. And not to sound like Mr. Hindsight, after seeing half of the Pac-12 teams suffer a loss, some of them even inexplicable home defeats, but I honestly didn't feel when I examined Thursday night's 41-14 win over Southern Utah that ASU really raised an excessive amount of red flags, if you will, that will adversely manifest themselves in the weeks to come. Now, sure, the word sloppy has been used quite often by Herm Edwards in describing that game, and for good reason. When you do commit 13 penalties for 135 yards, 11 of them for 120 yards in the first half alone, where your veterans were on the field more often than not, uh, at a minimum, that's a head-scratcher. At worst, it's raising a lot of questions as to the mental preparedness of this team. I thought it was interesting that Herm Edwards, when I did ask him in Monday's press conference following the game, if he was surprised that such a large number of been-there-done-that type of players, if you will, were so careless in, in terms of their penalties, his reply was that even players that have definitely played in front of crowds for several, several games, still had to get used to that aspect all over again just because all their games that were played in 2020 were with empty stands, I guess with some family members, but really crowds that that did not provide any atmosphere near what they experienced Thursday night in Sun Devil Stadium, for example. So when you do have this adrenaline rush, you have emotion taking over your passion. You not only want to make a play, but you want to score some style points in the process. And all that led to a lot of undisciplined plays by players that you, quite frankly, did expect much more from. So when Herm Edwards uses words such as embarrassing, uh, with all honesty, that is a very valid description. I don't think Edwards is being hyperbolic or even overcritical. And now it's incumbent on the ASU players to show that week one was an aberration. It's not something that will become a running theme for the entire 2021 season. So if you carefully examine the game, and let's start with the offensive side of the ball, in some regards, there's really not much change in what we saw in 2020, presenting a classic case of bag of mixed goods. And what I mean in specific is that the running game it really becomes a ho-hum uh, scenario in, in every good way when the ground attack is able to collect 222 yards on the ground, actually improving ASU's record 
under Herm Edwards to nine and one when this uh, rushing attack does collect more than 200 yards. And by the way, if you guess uh, which was the lone loss where ASU was able to rush for as many yards but still come on the uh, wrong side of the ledger, yes, it was that bitter loss to USC in the season opener of the 2020 season. So all six of ASU's touchdowns do come on the ground, which again just shows the dominance of this offensive facet for the Sun Devils. And maybe just expecting it to be on display each and every week. But is this going to be another one-dimensional offense for ASU, something we saw on full display in 2020? You probably already know the numbers. A 65-35 distribution of offensive plays in favor of the run. And what we saw actually last Thursday, and I know that it doesn't mean that this is going to be the cookie-cutter for the rest of the season, but that ratio actually increased to 70% run, 30% uh, pass. Now, I know there are some objective elements here in play. Offensive coordinator Zach Hill said after the game that he talked about the he talked about this contest being very choppy, being interrupted with so many penalties. There was really hard to get into a flow that perhaps would allow for somewhat of a robust uh, passing game by Jaden Daniels. The starting quarterback actually left midway through the third quarter with cramps. That obviously did hurt any effort of really getting this passing game on track, really producing more attractive numbers, so to speak. So I'm really not trying to beat anybody over the head when it comes to how much more this offense needs to be balanced, how much more this passing game really needs to pick it up a couple of notches, especially when you have a quarterback like Daniels, who, let's face it, is definitely one of the better ones we've seen this century in Tempe. And this is a wide receiver group that, for the most part, is somewhat inexperienced, but definitely is not short on talent, definitely not short on potential. And let's not forget, and yes, I know you've heard this a lot in the days and weeks leading up to the game, but this was a Southern Utah secondary facing Arizona State just five days after they yielded 410 passing yards to San Jose State, which is a good program in the Group 5 level. I won't deny that. Nonetheless, even though ASU ran the ball against Southern Utah at a higher clip than San Jose State did five days earlier, seeing ASU only posting 199 passing yards, which is half of the amount of yards that Southern Utah was giving up to San Jose State, I don't think that's a figure that really should sit well with Sun Devil fans. And I think that even though publicly not stated, probably does not sit all that well with the ASU coaching staff either. And in the next two weeks, ASU is going to face a secondary in UNLV who gave up 374 yards in their week one contest. A week later, you're playing a BYU defense that in their week one contest actually gave up 345 yards to the University of Arizona. Granted, a winning effort by the Cougars, but my point is that the Sun Devils are not facing any juggernauts when it comes to defensive back groups in the next couple of weeks. So if this passing game can show that it can break out of its shell, that it can be a legitimate complement aspect of this offense to a great running game that really didn't seem to miss a beat from 2020, these next two weeks really have to showcase that. And we should not, in my opinion, 
sitting here after the UNLV game and or after the BYU game wondering, when is this passing game really going to be a force to reckon with? Or at the very least, an offensive group that can provide, if not pregame headaches, then in-game headaches to opposing defensive coordinators. Again, not oblivious to the fact that there were penalties, many of them wiping out first-yard plays. You had Daniels exiting in the middle of the third quarter in the passing game, did expectedly suffer as a result. So we'll see if the passing game can play at a higher level against UNLV this Saturday, but I know we're taking for granted that this history running game is absolutely going to be dominant, well above average each and every week. And the season opener against Southern Utah was no different. The 222 yards that they posted, ironically, was 42 yards fewer than their average for the 2020 season. Either way, 90% of the Power 5 teams out there would love to have even the 222 yards on the ground that ASU was able to accumulate on Thursday, and for the Sun Devils, you look at the grand scheme of things and the capabilities of this rushing attack, it simply is just another day in the office. So when you look at the players that really stood out to me on this side of the ball, aside from the usual formidable performance by running backs Rashad White and Diamante Trainum, each of them not only scoring two touchdowns each, but also averaging over eight yards per carry. You look at wide receiver Ricky Paracel, who had a very nice all-around game, Scoring on a 26-yard end-around touchdown, also had two receptions for 27 yards. Also uh, had a pass uh, to tight end Curtis Hodges uh, for a first down. So really showed a lot of facets uh, of his game. I think he's one wide receiver that appeared to be very consistent in his play in full camp. And that is definitely translating to the regular season, at least from what we saw in week one. And speaking of Curtis Hodges, he definitely had one of his better performances in a Sun Devil uniform. He did lead all ASU wide receivers with 56 yards, uh, had uh, two receptions, also converted on a, on a two-point play. And let's not forget that when you look at the impressive rushing game numbers by Arizona State, it's not only thanks to a very good performance by the offensive line, but also tight ends like uh, Curtis Hodges, who really blocked uh, very well in the run game in 2020 and in 2021, at least to date, uh, is really is really more of the same. And lastly, I'll, in terms of individual performances, I have to mention Andre Johnson only had two receptions for 37 yards. But in terms of being that legitimate downfield threat, uh, I think that he shows that he can assume that role. With Andre Johnson, it was always a matter of consistency. So, yes, we need to see more of the same and maybe even a higher volume of catches and or yards in week two to feel even better about his performance. But in terms of first impressions of 2021, if you will, I think Andre Johnson definitely delivered in that department. So to put a bow on the offensive play of Thursday night, sure, you'd like to see a cleaner game, although that's a statement you can certainly make about the ASU defense and special teams unit, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But to me, the theme right now is perspective. And you saw what half of the Pac-12 teams did or didn't do in their respective season opener. You see an Arizona State offense, which, again, I spent a good several minutes criticizing, mentioning some deficiencies. But still, 
it is the offense that scored the most points in week one. And I know UCLA scored 44 points in week zero, but again, for the sake of comparing all 12 teams playing on the same week, ASU did score the most points. ASU's margin of victory, 27, was one of the highest among all Pac-12 teams, if I'm not mistaken, maybe second among its, its conference foes. So this offense is producing. I don't want to give an impression that it's absolutely anemic, that we should absolutely not have any high expectations based on what we saw in week one. But at the same time, and again, I don't think this sounds overcritical by any means, the offense, especially the passing game, really has to step up their play in the weeks to come. You're not going to have any more FCS teams like Southern Utah on the schedule, teams that will allow you to get away with multiple penalties that wipe out one first down after another. So was this the necessary warm-up game that may produce a very uncomfortable film session but at the same time serve as a necessary tool for improvement? Then if that's going to be the case, then it does shine a different light on the ASU offense and definitely shows you that maybe it's a game that really served its purpose. Yes, you're able to win your season opener. Again, much better position than half the teams in your conference. But we just need to see if the week one overreaction is exactly that. And we're seeing the penalties cleaned up and we're seeing a team that's not shooting itself in the foot time and time again. And a lot of the errors were also present on the defense and special teams. So next, let's visit those two units and see how they performed in the season opener. When it comes to the ASU defense, there are definitely some pleasant stats that jump right off the page. A team that gave up 14 points, an opponent that actually edged you in the time of possessions with 30 minutes and five seconds to their credit, but still an opponent that also averaged under four yards of play. Uh, that's definitely a sign of a dominating performance. And not to talk about the four turnovers that ASU was able to register, uh, three of them coming in the first four possessions of the game. So this is definitely a Sun Devil unit that set the tone early and often and I think really, much like the running game, you just take it for granted that this is a group that is absolutely going to overwhelm the opponent on any given Saturday. Now, even though some of the stats that I mentioned over here are, are definitely very impressive, this was not a clean game by any means by the defense, which kind of is a running theme of the entire ASU display on, on Thursday night. They have their own handful of penalties that provided Southern Utah multiple first downs. You had a targeting call being assessed to defensive end Tyler Johnson, the team's best pass rusher, which aside from that being a careless play, but his ejection in the first quarter really handcuffed, I think, ASU's overall pass rush abilities. The team only recorded us two sacks, did have six tackles for loss, and I think that made life somewhat miserable for the Southern Utah quarterback, but Nonetheless, we probably would see much more in that department if Tyler Johnson was on the field for the entire game, or at least for large stretches, really leading the way. But Johnson's absence definitely did not affect 
I think the defensive line at large with their collective play, especially nose tackle DJ Davidson, an absolute outstanding game, probably his best game as a Sun Devil, leads the team with six total tackles, two tackles for loss, a pass breakup, and also a recovered fumble. So, yes, he did have a Southern Utah offense. I was able to muck up the game here and there, which again resulted in their time of possession battle being won. Yet, it's a team that also only posted 78 yards on the ground, as mentioned, averaged just under four yards a play. Uh, And it was a team that was really trying to be balanced uh, in their offense, Uh, did uh, rush the ball for 26 times, did pass it for 31 uh, times. But really, if it wasn't for the ASU penalties, I think the number of points that they put on the board would uh, much likely uh, to be less uh, than 14. And needless to say that 146 passing yards is a figure that defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce would gladly accept each and every week, especially in Pac-12 play, which I know is not realistic with the caliber of passing offenses that ASU is about to encounter over here in a few weeks. But I also think that, again, going back to the pass rush issues, which were affected by the Tyler Johnson absence, I didn't feel that the Southern Utah quarterback, Justin Miller, was really all that comfortable in the pocket. He did have three interceptions after all, two of them collected by linebacker Darren Butler, another ASU defender who had an outstanding game. And in the second half, where many of the ASU reserves uh, played a great deal of snaps as he wanted them to against a caliber opponent like Southern Utah, the Thunderbirds only collected 66 yards in the last two quarters. Sure, probably a figure that you expected to see, but nonetheless, again, look around the Pac-12, and there were teams more or less at the level of Southern Utah that ASU's Pac-12 foes were struggling and struggling quite a bit this past week. So again, another stat that I don't think that should be taken for granted. Last but not least, let's talk about the special teams unit. And I know that maybe even compared to the offense and defense, uh, this is a group that probably drew the most ire of the Sun Devil fan base during and after the game. But when you go into the weeds, so to speak, I don't think you saw a group that absolutely fell flat on its face as probably the narrative suggested. Now, there definitely were some areas of concern. And absolutely the fact that Logan Tyler's First kickoff went out of bounds. Uh, was unfortunately for him a clear indication of how the rest of his night would go. Uh, sure, he, he was able to compensate later on in the contest having five touchbacks, but on the same token, he also missed two extra point attempts, uh, one of them being kicked very low with a low trajectory, the other one hitting the upright. That caused ASU to go for two-point conversions more often than not, and I, and when they failed on one of them, I believe that uh, Logan Tyler, ironically, ended up kicking what was equivalent to a 36-yard point after. So it goes without saying that the fact that ASU did actually go not once but twice for two-point conversions does not help Logan Tyler's confidence. The fact that Christian Zendas, the place kicker in 2020, somebody who's been on the transfer portal literally for the entire calendar year, is now back on the team, good chance he might suit up against UNLV, is probably going to take the point after duties as well as field goal kicking duties. Again, another aspect that doesn't 
really show a lot of confidence in Tyler and really tells you all you need to know about how the coaching staff feels about this specific ASU special teams component. And there were no field goals attempted in the game against Southern Utah. You can only wonder with the night that Logan Tyler was having what that would look like. But now with Christian and Deas seemingly ready to go for the UNLV game, Logan Tyler is going to be regulated uh, for kickoffs. And the and Deas can fill in effectively for, for Logan Tyler. And also see if Logan Tyler, in all honesty, is not called upon when there are longer field goals, 45 yards and above, that need to be attempted. Now, truth be told, Herm Edwards, I think, was not only concerned about the place kicking and just the kicking in general for the Sun Devils, but also concerned about the punting, which really was, I guess, the fear of the unknown, for lack of a better term. And sure enough, and yes, we only have one game to go by, but let's not forget that freshman punter Eddie Chaplisky, in his ASU debut, was absolutely, I would say, short of sensational, if you will, having two punts, averaging 46 yards, both of them pinned inside the 20. One of them was pinned uh, literally on the one or two-yard two line, and for somebody who had an extremely tough act to follow in Michael Turk, back-to-back first-team OPAC 12 punter, I think Chopisky did a great job. You never know how a true freshman will perform under the lights, even if he has a great high school career, a great fall camp leading up to the season opener, and the freshman punter, I think, was outstanding. Another aspect of special teams that Herm Edwards was public about being an area of concern was the punt return. Now, on the one hand, you have one of the best kick returners in the league in DJ Taylor. Sure enough, on his two kick returns, he posted 55 yards, including a long one for 34 yards. Going back to my earlier point, whether some aspects of this team you absolutely take for granted, running game, defense as a whole, and kick returns by DJ Taylor, all performing at a high level. I know this may sound like hindsight, but you kind of wonder if you have such a great kick returner in DJ Taylor, is it out of the question to assume they can also be a, a good punt returner? Well, that question, at least for week one, was answered and answered in a very positive manner as DJ Taylor averaged 29 yards on three punt returns, some of them were, were nullified due to penalties. Otherwise, the numbers would look even better. And this is one area where you can't talk about the fact that you played an inferior team because special teams always felt were somewhat the equalizer when you talk about an FCS team meeting a Power 5 team. And sure enough, the Thunderbird punter actually averaged 50 yards a punt. So DJ Taylor and just the whole coverage team, for that matter, wasn't exactly facing a unit that was several notches below the average punting unit they're going to face throughout the 2021 season. So for, Z- for DJ Taylor to post those numbers, I think it's really impressive. So it's just kind of a weird dynamic that we saw on Thursday because Rashad White, the star running back, is actually the first punt returner. Lone punt for 36 yards. Great job, to say the least, 
But you also kind of wonder, okay, so is White going to be the punt returner from here on out? Or are they going to give DJ Taylor or anybody else for that matter the reins? Well, DJ Taylor enters on the next punt return and the rest is history. ASU not only has a great kick returner, but at least for the time being also has a great punt returner as well. I think, and I know it's really early in his career, but this is probably the best punt and kick returner that we've seen since the days of Jamal Miles around 2010. So much like the punting, it's nice to have what seemed to be, prior to the season opener, a special team deficiency, actually, I'm not going to say become a strength, but at least become an aspect that showed very well in week one. So to put a bow on ASU's performance, both offense, defense, special teams in the season opener, I still really feel it was more of a fairly even ledger sheet of promising and worrisome facets regarding that performance. And coaches will tell you that it's much easier to fix problems after a win than than a loss. And trust me, the a lot of Pac-12 teams right now that are faced with the latter more unattractive proposition, if you will. While it would be foolish to talk about any week one performance as a wake-up call, whether you did come come away victorious or actually lost that contest, I still feel that there's a lot to learn from week one, maybe compared to week two. And the most improvement you expect to see as a coach is probably between week one and week two versus between week two and week three. So if there's any problems to be displayed, if there are any errors to be committed, at least for Arizona State, let all that transpire in week one when you're playing the weakest opponent on the schedule so you can still win the game, but also have an opportunity not to be punished by those mishaps, for lack of a better term, and be able to have good film to know what to correct in, uh, for next week. So, I'm not drawing any sweeping conclusions from week one. And in the same vein, I think it'd be foolish to overlook a UNLV team who does coming into Tempe, not feeling all that great about themselves. They had their own shocking disappointment in the season opener, losing at home to an FCS team in Eastern Washington, 35-33 in double overtime. And a quick look at the stat sheet shows that They were able to come back and force overtime playing well in the fourth quarter and really fell short in not being able to convert a two-point conversion in the second frame of extra time to lose that game. Uh, I know Herm Edwards in his weekly press conference talked quite a bit about the Rebels' rushing attack, which posted just under 200 yards in large part to Charles Williams and his 172 yards on the ground, a figure that was able to eclipse the 140 passing yards that the team was able to register on that day. On defense, uh, this seems to be a carbon copy, as I mentioned earlier, of the team ASU played last week and the team that's going to play next week. Eastern Washington was able to post 374 passing yards, so 
Here we go again, ASU facing an opponent that has anything but a formidable secondary, which you would hope would be ripe scenario for the passing game to really get on track, really carry more of the collective offensive effort on his shoulders. I still think that this should be a more challenging opponent for Arizona State, but let's face it, this is still the phase of the season where it's really more dependent on what ASU will do and will do well, or maybe not do as well, as opposed to what the team on the other side of the line of scrimmage is going to be able to accomplish. So for ASU to win this game, and I know they're just about a 34-point favorite as we're recording this podcast, uh, shows that it should be a dominating win, should be ultimately a 2-0 start uh, for ASU. But it's really incumbent on the Sun Devils to clean up its errors, to show that they made progression from week one, not really worry about their opponent being a better or even maybe worse team than Southern Utah. It's really up to them to show that they have been able to make that growth that everybody's expecting them to make from week one to week two. If that happens, I think not only will we will see an ASU victory, but also see a cleaner performance, maybe one that's going to have less negatives to talk about than I have been mentioning on this podcast. And as always, we're always going to have several features leading up to Saturday's contest, extensive previews and analysis of ASU's upcoming opponent, along with video features as part of our typical coverage that you should come to expect during the season. Make sure you're not missing any portion of that content and keep it locked on devilsdigest.com. If you're not a member already, make sure you're in a devil's huddle. Make sure you're a premium subscriber, and that will give you always access to 100% of other articles that we will be publishing before and after the game. And as always, not only do you have access to premium content, you also get access to our premium message board, a place where you can engage with other ASU fans in a civil environment. So I look forward to interacting with a lot of you, not only this week, but the entire 2021 season. Thank you as always for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town